to the full armor of God. And I think that you're probably aware that we actually could take and make the armor of God a series within itself. And it's not really my intention to do that. I think we have everything necessary if you yourself would like to go and add and fill out the material here. But it is my desire to understand this armor within the framework of the mystery of God and the framework of the book of Ephesians. And so I'm hoping that if the Lord be willing, we'll be able to tackle all of verses 13 through 17. But we're going to begin reading in verse 10 of Ephesians 6. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the full armor of God, so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God, so that you will be able to resist in the evil day, and having done everything, to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, in addition to all, taking up the shield of faith, with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. As we noted last week, that for us to come to an understanding of this armor, we must understand that Paul is referencing us back to themes and theology that he has already mentioned here in the book of Ephesians. What he is expressing to us is the very act of putting on putting on light, putting on Christ, putting on the deeds of light, or walking in the good works that God has foreordained before the foundation of the world that we should walk therein. Our clothing isn't so much, and I'm not negating the metaphor that Paul is using here, But our clothing is not so much the soldier's clothing as in this piece of armor and our loins being girded with a leather belt or the breastplate that we should be having on. Our emphasis really isn't on the metaphor. Our emphasis is on what is the actual clothing. And the clothing is truth. It is a part of the armor that is truth. 
It is righteousness, not just justification, because we're talking about our walk. We're talking about the outworking of our great salvation, as Paul would say in the book of Philippians. Our clothing comprises of the gospel of peace. Our clothing is faith. Our clothing is salvation. And our clothing has inherent within it the sword of the Spirit, which is the what? It is the Word of God. Part of our clothing is being clothed in the Word of God itself. I think the reason why Paul is using armor outside of the fact that he's in prison, isn't he? And he is chained on each side of himself with a Roman soldier. And so as he's witnessing to them, as he's confessing Christ to them, as he's exhorting them for them to be delivered from their sins and submit to the kingship of Jesus Christ himself, he's living with a human being that is wearing armor. And in that prison, and in the weakness of that prison, Paul knows that he needs to be girded with strength. And he realizes that that strength is his protection in the midst of that prison and in the midst of a dark world. The command is given to us in verse 10, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. And we took a look at the previous passages that mentioned the exact same phraseology. And Paul's referring here to the power of His resurrection. That's the command for the church, for us as individual believers, to be strong in the Lord and the strength of His might. How does that occur? Verse 11, putting on the full armor of God. Now that came to us, we were clothed in it at our justification, but now we are to walk therein. And it is this armor of truth, righteousness, peace, faith, salvation, the word of God, that not only provides us strength in the Lord, It is our strength in the Lord. It is the characteristics of which our Lord Himself walked. We are to put on the Lord Jesus Christ in every area of our life. Or as Paul would say, this is growing up in Him in all things. These things, truth, righteousness, peace, faith, salvation, and the Word of God, are the works that God has prepared beforehand that we are to walk therein. We are certainly, I think we would agree, to walk in truth. We're to walk in righteousness. We're to walk in peace. We're to walk in faith. We're to walk in agreement with the Word of God. And as we do that, this armor becomes our protection 
from the schemes of the devil. Verse 11, put on the full armor of God so that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. And he is a schemer, is he not? This is what provides our protection. We're not, as it were, to gain the victory. The victory's already been gained. But we are to stand firm when we are attacked. And will we be attacked? We will be attacked. It will be spirits, evil spirits, coming against our inner man. Our spirit. And of course we do know that these devilish spirits work through the instrumentality of the sons of disobedience. It's not that we're fighting against people. They're nothing more than the tool of the evil one. Just like we are tools or weapons of who? Christ of God. So we're to yield our members as instruments, tools, weapons of righteousness. Satan has his tools that he works through. Christ has his tools that he works through. And so we are to have on this protection Righteousness protects us. Truth protects us. Faith protects us. And so we ought to be, should we not be, fearful to walk according to our former manner of life because if we walk that way, we're not being protected and just like Ephesians chapter 4 Verse 26 and 27 says, and it gives the devil a platform. We should be absolutely terrified not to be walking in this armor. But as in many cases, most professing believers are oblivious to these types of things. And so they do get swayed with every wind of doctrine. And they do obey the lust that are in them, or we could use the word feelings that come up through their body. I was reading this morning about a lady pastor, pastors here in Richmond, and she was going through all the functions that a pastor does. And she says, you know, a woman can do that just like a man because at the end of the day, and I'm not quoting, you can read the article yourself, she said all that really matters is how people feel after you pastor them. This is our world today. We are enslaved to our feelings. And that's exactly what the Scripture says. Lost people are in slavery to their lust. 
And not only this, but the protection that comes from this armor and the ability to stand against inflaming lust, verse 16, to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one, but it also brings us stability because deceitful doctrines bring instability to the church where we're just putting our finger up in the wind and testing which way the winds of doctrine are blowing because that's where we want to be because that's where we're going to get the greatest attendance. No, the Bible says that when we grow up into maturity, we don't move with every wind of teaching that's going on out there. This is what we are to be protected from. And folks, a worthy walk will be attacked. It's not if it will be attacked. It's not even when. We're always under attack just to different measures. Sometimes we actually know that this is going on and sometimes we don't. But it's always there. We walk... Look at what it says. We walk, verse 13, in the evil day. The day in which we're living is not peaceful. It is a day of conflict. And I think those of us in America have been lulled to sleep in this through false theologies that are out there that tend to teach that if you're walking with the Lord, then you're just going to have peace and you're going to walk above all the conflict. And, you know, it's like Christ didn't feel any of the blows that were on the cross because He he just went above it all. Nonsense. Did Christ know this conflict? He knew this conflict. He knew it from the days of his youth. He even rebuked his own parents gently and kindly. Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? They didn't. And it caused a conflict. We are walking in an evil day. And the only difference is what measure that evil day is. We are in an intense inner man spiritual struggle like hand-to-hand warfare, like a wrestling against the schemes of the devil. That's almost enough to make you flee to Christ. If you're here and you don't hear and nothing in your spirit says, I'm heading to the high tower. I'm not sure that you're really comprehending the evil day in which you are living. Now, we need to remind ourselves as we go into this armor, we need to remind ourselves of a New Testament church's greatest need. Two things. Enlightening of the eyes of our understanding so that we might know the wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of God the Father. Everybody remember that. Paul prays that, right? 
Here's the second need. That we would be strengthened with power in our inner man by the Spirit of God. In other words, folks, if we take up this full armor and we are being strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might, this is what brings strong homes. Now just think about this. Are homes under attack? Yes. What's going to bring a strong home? Truth. Faith. Walking in righteousness. Walking according to the gospel of peace. Walking in agreement with the Word of God. But when a member in that home doesn't walk that way, what happens? There's conflict and division. And folks, division... I won't take time to prove this to you. But division is the first line attack of the evil one. In the book of Acts, four times, there is major conflict in the church. And each time, the conflict is intended to divide. Now that shouldn't surprise you. We read for our scripture reading, Luke chapter 11. A kingdom that is divided, what? Will not, it will not stand. But we are to stand firm. Having done all. This is what brings not only strong homes, but strong churches. A church isn't strong just because it has numerics or a big budget or lots of buildings or programs. A church is strong only to the degree it walks in this armor. This is what brings strong parents. This is what gives us strong marriages. This is what gives to us strong children. Everybody understand this. This is the strength of God. This is the power of His might. And this is why Romans 13 says, lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lust. If you make provision for the flesh in regard to its lust, if you take forethought to be following the feelings of your body that you're feeling coming up, if you do that, you will be weakened spiritually. You will be giving the devil a platform. And I can assure you, brethren, you and I, anybody's walked with the Lord for many decades or even years, knows how easy it is for things to flame between brethren. To flame within a church. This is the evil one. But if we are strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might, then we will be able to what? To stand. 
will be able to stand. Now we've applied this to us as individual believers, and I do think Paul's doing that, but this is also how a church is stabilized. Stability in a church comes as we grow up in Him, as we walk according to the light, as we are in the light. It will stabilize us and keep us from every wind of doctrine and every inflaming lust that war against our soul. One commentator worded it this way, Satan is committed to hindering the progress of the gospel and the fulfillment of the divine plan of summing up all things in Christ. He is committed against that. And we should be committed for it. Amen. This is how we are to be walking. Now folks, this armor that we are to be clothed in was also worn by the man, Christ Jesus. Now I want you to take your Bibles and I want you to turn back to the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 11. Paul quotes from the book of Isaiah more than any other book that he quotes from. He and his ministry is baptized and immersed in the book of Isaiah. And in Isaiah chapter 11, among other passages that we're going to look at, the armor of our Lord is mentioned. I'm going to begin reading in verse 1 just for the sake of getting the context. Then a shoot will spring from the stem of Jesse, and a branch from his roots will bear fruit. That's the Messiah, isn't it? That's the promised king. Verse 2, the spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and strength, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. Did you notice when you read that, that Ephesians 3 verse 16, be strengthened in your inner man by His Spirit. The Spirit of the Lord will rest on Him. And the Spirit of wisdom and understanding. Did you pick up Paul praying that the church would be illumined in all wisdom and spiritual understanding? The spirit of counsel and strength, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord and he will not judge by what his eyes see. That's when we get in trouble. And he will not make a decision by what his ears hear. But with righteousness. Is that part of our armor? But with righteousness. He will judge the poor and decide with fairness for the afflicted of the earth. And he will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. Do you hear the sword of the Spirit in that statement? And with the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. Verse 5. Also, righteousness will be the belt about his loins, 
and faithfulness the belt around his waist. Everybody see that armor? He's been talking about the armor the whole time. Will the Messiah bear fruit? Yes. And the Spirit is going to be resting on him. And he's going to have wisdom and understanding. And he's going to be strengthened in his inner man. And he's going to do these things protected by the divine attributes of God the Father. It's amazing, isn't it? In Isaiah chapter 49, in verse 2, he mentions again just one of the pieces of the armor when he says, again, speaking of the Messiah, He has made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of His hand He has concealed me. He has also made me a select arrow. He has hidden me in His quiver. Now in the book of Ephesians... He's using soldier armory. And he's saying, all right, does a Roman soldier carry a sword? Yes. Well, that's the sword of the Spirit. That is the Word of God. But we know from other passages, and we won't look at them all, but the sword is actually where? In his mouth. That is, it is the Word of God, is it not? That is the sharp, two-edged sword like Hebrews chapter 4 says. Again, it is part of this armor. If you go to chapter 52 and verse 7, he speaks of those who bring good tidings of peace. How lovely on the mountains are the feet of Him who brings good news, who announces peace and brings good news of happiness who announces salvation and says to Zion, your God reigns. Here you have His feet being mentioned. In Isaiah chapter 59, just a couple of chapters over, in verse 17, it says, He put on righteousness like a breastplate and an helmet of salvation on His head, And he put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself with zeal as a mantle. That referring to our Lord himself. So folks, did our Lord Jesus have to put on the armor? And was it his protection? It was his protection. Jesus Christ, the man, needed to walk a worthy walk and he had to do it by the power of God, that is, by the Spirit of God, being clothed in the armor of God. Now, every one of those passages doesn't directly correspond to the book of Ephesians. Isaiah 11 is the best passage. However, every one of those things are all divine attributes. Every one of them. In other words, it is the fruit of the it's the fruit of the spirit. And folks, as we go back to Ephesians 6, 
and I mentioned this earlier, when we walk according to our former manner of life, we give the devil a platform to operate from. It's like you have a handle. Christ said when He left the upper room, the devil is coming and he has nothing on me. Now think, think how strong that would look. The devil had in Jesus Christ no platform to operate from. None. That can't be said of who? That can't be said of us. So when we walk according to our former manner of life, when we walk according to lust of deceit, when we bear falsehood to other people, when we have unrighteous anger, when we steal, when our speech is bitter, it is not edifying. It is full of slander and wrath and clamor. When we are unwilling to forgive, when we are unloving sacrificially, when we complain instead of being thankful, when our speech is coarse, like the world, when we commit fornication, when we live our life for gain, when we participate in deeds of darkness rather than rebuking the deeds of darkness, when we walk and have a life that is not sacrificial, it's not cruciform, when we don't know the will of God, <clears throat> when we walk in pride, when we don't fear God, but we fear man, when we are not submissive, when we are disobedient, when we work at our workplace merely for eye service as men-pleasers, we are giving a platform to the evil one. Do we understand that? I don't think any of us wake up in the morning as believing people and say, you know what? Today my goal is to give the devil a platform. But his schemes are deceitful. He will convince you and I that we're actually taking a stand for God when we are walking according to the deeds of darkness. And we are all susceptible to that. Every last believer until we see Him face to face and may that be soon. It's amazing after going through something like that, is it not amazing that the church gets anything done in the power of God? Isn't it amazing that He still has mercy on you? 
that He hedges in us so that we don't receive the full onslaught of the devil. And He uses evil things to conform us into the very image of Christ. This is God's power. What is God's power? The Gospel. Everything that I've mentioned to you here, whether it be justification or walking a worthy walk, it is all Gospel. Every last bit of it. And we ought to tremble to walk apart from this armor. It ought to scare us silly to do that. Everybody with me? Everybody understand what the armor is? Because part of walking and taking on this armor is understanding it. Now what is this armor of light or this armor of God? I'm going to go through this fairly rapidly. But if you'd like to have all the references, I have all the references here in my notes, and they're all in the book of Ephesians. We are to be strong in the power of His might by taking up, verse 14, truth. Every genuine believer was saved after listening to the message of truth. We are to be speaking the truth in love to one another. What is the truth? Chapter 4, verse 21. If indeed you have heard Him and have been taught in Him, just as truth is in Jesus... That's the truth. The summing up of all things in Him. And all the truth that surrounds that. We're to be walking in that truth. We are sanctified, not only justified, we are sanctified by the truth. Thy word is truth. The new man in us has been created in us by Jesus Christ through His Spirit in the holiness of the truth. And we are to speak truth one to another. And if you look at chapter 5 and verse 9, truth is the fruit of light. For the fruit of the life consists in all goodness, next word, righteousness, that's our next piece, and truth. And you've got to learn what is pleasing to the Lord in this. It is truth that is our clothing. It is truth that gives us strength. 
It is truth that protects us in the conflict. And folks, this truth is where? In our inner man. It's the Word of God understood by the Spirit of God in us like seed bringing forth fruit. You find a believer that's immature, they're not very what? They're not very strong. Do they need to get stronger? They do. Every one of us needs to get stronger. By the time you think you're strong enough, the Lord will allow something to come in your life and you'll realize you're not strong enough. And it happens when we gird our loins with this truth. We gird our spirit. We eat truth like bread. We drink it like water. And this is the way our Lord lived. He was the Word of God made flesh. He thought the Word of God. He spoke the Word of God. He acted on the Word of God. He submitted to the Word of God. Rightly understood. And did He battle with the Word of God? When the world came against Him, He spoke the Word of God. Was He strong? He was strong in His inner man. And folks, this is the paradox. Now please hear me. To become strong in your inner man is to know your weakness in the flesh. That's what confuses us. We think that when we get strong, we're going to become, as it were, more self-confident. No, the exact opposite happens. The Bible says that our Lord Jesus Christ was crucified through weakness. But was He strong? Did He resist? Did He stand firm? He was crucified through weakness, raised by the power of God. So we. Paul says, I bear in my flesh the dying of the Lord Jesus so that the life of Christ might be made manifest in me. That's where the paradox is to our eyes. I have seen believers that are so strong in the things of the Lord. And nobody else thinks they are. They may be confined to a bed. They may have disabilities that keep them from maneuvering themselves around this life. They may be weak weak in money and paupers in the flesh. 
But you look at them and you see in their inner man, you see a beauty and a glory that has been brought to pass by Christ. And it causes them to be believers all the way through death's door. Years and years ago, I never had the opportunity of meeting these two ladies, but down in the state of Mississippi, which isn't one of our more prominent states, but down in the state of Mississippi, there were two ladies. It was a mother and a daughter. No husband, very impoverished, lived in a shack of a house. And they exuded Christ. They couldn't get out. So they wanted to they wanted to do something for the Lord. And they got an old rotary telephone and the old paper yellow pages and white pages. And they started calling every person in that town, one after another. They would tell them who they were. They would tell them that they can't get out of bed, but they just want to tell them about the Son of God who saved their souls. Do you call that strength? That is strength. Or as we saw last Wednesday night, Mary Jones walks 12 miles, saves for six years, walks 12 miles to buy a Bible. Would you do that? You able body believer. She started saving when she was eight. Took her six years and age 15, she took off early one morning to go buy a Bible. I call that the power of God. Truth. Truth. Secondly, righteousness. There is a debate in verse 14, putting on the breastplate of righteousness, whether that righteousness is our justification or whether that is our sanctifying walk. But I think it's clear within the context of the book of Ephesians that chapters 4 through 6 is about walking a worthy what? Worthy walk. So this has to be, at least in my understanding, the outworking of the righteousness of God in our lives and salvation. And as I mentioned before, our new self, our new inner man, had been created in us in righteousness. And as we looked in Ephesians 5 and verse 9, the fruit of light is righteousness. Righteousness is our clothing. It is our strength. It is our protection in the conflict. It is our breastplate, to use this metaphor. We must know the truth and engrafted by the Spirit of God and we must outwork it in the righteousness of Christ. Thirdly, verse 15 
having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. The key word here is the word peace. Paul has been opening up to us all throughout this epistle the gospel. But if you go back to Ephesians and look at chapter 2 and look at verses 14 and following, he talks about our peace. It says, For He Himself is our peace. Christ is our peace. Who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in His flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so that in Himself He might make the two into one new man. Thus, not only is He our peace, He establishes peace. Verse 16, and might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross by it having put to death the enmity. And he came and preached what? Peace. Now you were expecting him to say what? He came and preached the gospel. The gospel is a gospel of what? A peace. He came and He evangelized peace to you who were far away and evangelized peace to those who were near. Gospel preaching is the preaching of the gospel of peace and God's peace comes through His Word. Paul begins this epistle. How does he begin it? Grace and peace be unto you. And he will finish this epistle by saying grace and peace be with you. And in between those two statements is truth. God's peace comes to us through His Word because Christ is our peace. He has established peace and we as a church must be diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And peace is to rest on every believer. You're here in chapter 6. If you just go to the end of this chapter, he says, peace be to the brethren. Peace is to rest upon all believers. And folks, it is this peace that clothes us. It's on our feet. Our feet have to do with our walk. This is our walk. And if we're not walking that way, we'll be blown around with every wind of doctrine and we will not be stable and firm-footed. It is this gospel of peace that strengthens us. It is the gospel of peace that protects us. And it is the gospel of peace that we evangelize with. This is amazing. All of that is here in this book. He's just summing up what he's already been teaching and saying, look, wear it. 
Walk worthy of this calling by which you have been called. Number four, not only truth and righteousness and peace, but faith. Verse 16, in addition to all, taking up the shield of faith. Faith extinguishes our inflamed lust. This is how we combat the deceitful lusts that rise up in our souls. And folks, the root Greek word for the word faith is the word that we get believing. We are to be believing God in all things. We're to believe the truth and the righteousness that's being presented to us. It was the Ephesians' faith that prompted Paul to begin praying in Ephesians 1 and verse 15. We're saved by grace through faith. We're delivered by faith in what God has said. Our boldness as a believer and our access to the throne of God comes by faith. Christ dwells in our hearts through faith. And folks, there's only how many faiths? There's one faith. And we are all to be striving to attain to the unity of the faith. A faith that comes from God. A faith that puts a label on you. What is the label? Believer. Right? What is a believer? Someone who has faith. And that is how we are to clothe ourselves. It is our strength. We're to grow strong in the faith. Jesus would tell the disciples, O ye of little faith. And it protects us in the conflict. When the fiery trial comes to try your faith, that is a hard one, isn't it? When it's purified, it's much more precious than gold. Fifth part of the armor is salvation. Verse 17, take the helmet of salvation. It's actually take the helmet which is salvation. Salvation is the helmet. And hasn't Paul told us to renew our minds? Hasn't Paul told us to capture every thought unto the obedience of Christ? Hasn't Peter told us to gird up the loins of our mind? How are we to do all that? By understanding this great salvation. To be thinking it, pondering it, meditating upon it, asking questions about it, understanding it. These things are the things that give protection to our inner man. And our inner man, folks, has a mind. And it is to be helmeted by God's great salvation in Christ. Sixthly, 
the Word of God. I think we all understand that it's the Word of God that saved us. I think we all understand that it's the Word of truth that sanctifies us. This is how a husband is to sanctify his wife with the washing of the water of the, the Word. It is the Word of God that is the means by which we expose the deeds of darkness, by which we correct ourselves and at times others, by which we rebut those who come in conflict against us. It is the Word of God which is the power of God's salvation and it's like a sharp two-edged sword. And folks, I just want to note here that it is the sword of who? The Spirit. In the Scriptures, the Holy Spirit and the Word of God are tied at the hip. To say, pray in the Spirit, is to say, pray in accordance with the Word of God. The sword of the Spirit is saying the same thing as the Word of God. It's the Spirit of God that gave holy men of old breath to inscripturate what God actually said. It's not the Spirit apart from the Word. It's not the Word apart from the Spirit. They're tied together. This we have. That Word of God, Hebrews 4 says, is living. It's powerful. It's sharper than any human edge. And that Word of God has the ability to go down to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit in you or in someone that you've spoken it to. And discern the thought and intent of that person's heart. That's powerful, isn't it? And we're to clothe ourselves with this. It is our strength. It is our protection. Now brethren, don't you want to be strong in the Lord? Should we pray for this? Yes. But in your praying for it, open your Bible and let those words change you and strengthen you in your inner man so that Christ can dwell in your heart by faith. Paul prayed that for you. Many times we just want to pray about something, but we don't want to put forth the labor or the effort to actually become strong. Folks, if I'm going to take a physical illustration, <clears throat> I could say this afternoon, I could say, you know what? 
I am probably the weakest, most miserable creature on the face of this earth. I'm going to get a gym membership. And I'm going to get a gym membership because they have these things there called weights. And if I'm going to become stronger physically, I've got to go, I'm going to lift weights. So two weeks goes by. Someone says, well, did you get a gym membership? Well, yes. Of course. Do they have weights? Oh, they have lots of them. Have you ever exercised any of them? Well, why would I want to do that? I got a gym membership. You would say to that man, dumb and dumber. Wouldn't you? But we do that spiritually. We think this strength is going to come to us by osmosis or by some mystical pouring out. It's going to come as we understand the wisdom and revelation of the knowledge of God. And by that Word, be strengthened with His might in our inner man so that Christ may dwell in our hearts by faith, so that we can know the length and the breadth and the height and the depth of this mystery and have an understanding of it as best as God has revealed it. So that we might fully come to a place of knowing the depths of the love of God that passes knowledge. So that we might be filled with all the fullness of God. Would you be strong then? You would be strong in the power of His might. Brethren, put on the full armor of God every day, every moment. This is in the next section. Be alert to drowsiness. May God grow us up in all things so that we might really be strong in Him. In the evil days that we know are here and that every believer is saying it's going to get darker. Well, if it's going to get darker, I need to get stronger. Let's pray.